is up, spooky people. Welcome back to Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. And I am Sabrina. And I don't know why I'm like clutching myself. I'm like, hmm. (sighs) (sighs) The intensity of ghost stories. My God. Spirits. Spirits among us. Speaking of spirits and speaking of like trying to get more in touch with our abilities and the spiritual world this year of 2023, I figured maybe we would start by reading, doing a tarot poll. Okay, great. Yeah, because you have that app now and you're learning all about tarot. So this is I your am. practice. It is. This is it's it's fascinating to learn. And I feel like the more I do it, the more familiar I'm getting with the cards. Um, right. I can, I don't think do I we can have do to pull it, it for you. I think we each okay, have to I, do our own. I do have the app because okay, you told great. me about it. So what are you doing? Are you doing one card? Are you doing the daily three? You know what? I'm gonna do past, present, future. Oh, okay. And the name of this app is called Labyrinthos. Yes. So let us see. Okay. Do you want me to start? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So my past is the six of pentacles. Compassion and understanding breeds generosity, sharing, and charity. One gives away the fruits of one's labor with the understanding that the situation of having the upper hand can be reversed at any moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's my past. It's a little ominous. (laughs) My present is the chariot reversed. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. What is it? (laughs) Lack of control, lack of direction, and aggression. Being at the mercy of two opposing forces, constantly battling for domination. There is a sense that you have lost control here, that you are not at the driver's seat, that you are a passive observer, and you must begin to understand what is in your life that you can and cannot drive and what you can and what and let what you cannot go. Okay. Hmm. I guess there's a lesson to be learned in that, but like I don't like the chaos. Oh God, my future. No, Sabrina, dang it. It's the four of cups reversed. And the, like the three words that are categorized are boredom, taking for granted, aloofness. In your search for something meaningful, meaningful, you have perhaps been led to ignore the potential happiness that is given to you. So much inner focus has made you lose your way and you have begun to deny the wonders that the world offers. Find balance. You must both look inward and out. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. You know, I think in tarot in general, there's just – it relates to something within us, right, usually? There's something to be learned. There's something for us to work on. There's something we can pull. Um, yeah, hmm. but it just feels a bit amorphous. It's like there's no control, and then there's like – but if you spend like too much chaos. time inside yourself, then you will lose direction and find – be misled. And it's like, well, what is – who am I? Who am I? You're working to find that out. I think you're very close to knowing exactly who you want to be and who you are. You know what? Actually, let me just scratch all that. The past 30 seconds, Sabrina, goodbye. I have been (laughs) so freaking empowered lately. And I've been doing a lot of like (laughs) writing my hobbies and who I am and what I like about myself. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm a freaking badass. I'm empowered. I'm a yeah, you crazy are crazy cool ass woman. And it just it feels good to be like, hell yeah, I do know who I am. And I am proud of myself. And there is a lot that I have to offer to the world. Screw being Man. invisible. 2023. Look look at me. Here I am. Look at you. The um, oh my gosh, Sabrina, I could shed space. a tear right now with how much, <laughs> yes, how much you have grown and how much control now you have over yourself and your thoughts about yourself. 
Yes. Sabrina last year would be like, no, 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 no one can see me. I'm just a wee little person right here. Don't look at me. Yeah. And now you're going to let yourself shine. I'm taking up space. And I'm a Watch fan of out. that. Take up space. We're all here for it. We want, we're trying to give you the space. And now you Thank have you. a lot of room to take up. Yeah, thanks. My curtain bangs are driving me batshit crazy. Where do they I They look them? so good though. <gasps> now you like have here. like alien antlers on ah, like it. They're just slightly shorter than my, my biannual <laughs> curtain bangs are back, <laughs> but just a wee bit shorter than I had hoped for. So I have no, no control. They look great. I'm going to do just a single card. Let's just see. Okay. Okay. Um, Daily reading. Oh, I guess I do pull three cards. Well, if you go to the, the daily reading. If you go to the – you could do that one, but if you go to the reading at the bottom, that gives you the option to do single card and then it has different options. Hmm. Okay. So for single card, it says for daily readings and yes or no questions. So I'll just do for daily reading, I guess. The Knight of Swords. The power of an idea to overwhelm is represented by the Knight of Swords. Filled with the vision of an idea, he is propelled forward with unbridled ambition. Though his energy is great, there's also a warning associated with being unconscious about consequences and obstacles. That feels very applicable right now to me. Yeah, but you have so many ideas that you are pursuing in this year. And I feel like you are aware of the obstacles. Yes. It's just one of the things in my personality, which the more I spend time on TikTok, the more I think maybe I'm just undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> but one of the things with my personality is like when I have a, when I have an idea and I'm so passionate about it, I like throw myself in so hard. I'm like, I will figure it out. Even if I know the consequences, I'm like, that's okay. I'll take them as they come, blah, blah, blah. But then sometimes I quit. Then I just like <laughs> do, toss that out. What's next week? Like, what's my but new passion next week? Okay, let's rephrase. It's not quitting. It is deciding that it no longer benefits you and you're moving on to things that do fulfill you more. True. If only I didn't spend money on those things, though. That's the bad part. <laughs> is, are you talking behavior. about crocheting? <laughs> no, I want to keep crocheting. I'm going to. I, I have crochet trouble right now because I want to master my one crochet, but I need a certain yarn and the yarn isn't available. And I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to pick it back up. It's not, it's not a lost cause. It's just probably going to happen like once a month. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> At random times. I've been, one thing I, that we don't quit though is the podcast. Oh, and never, never, ever. But we have some exciting things that we're trying to plan this year. One of them being that we are going to do more crossovers and spend more time with some other podcast friends. Our pals. So, I mean, we have some things planned, which you guys will find out about soon enough. But yeah. would also love to hear what everybody else wants. So if you yeah, have ideas for us this year, to hang people out with. that you want us to connect with, yeah, that would be awesome so that we can we can figure out who everybody spends time with in their yeah. holes. Who are your podcast pals that you want to be our podcast pals? This right. is like this is like it's matchmaking. Yeah, matchmaking. You're setting <laughs> us up on dates. Set us up, please. I also so yeah. badly, Corinne, I know we've talked about this and we talked about it on Campfire Stories. RIP, love those. Mm-hmm. We're gonna figure out what to do with those <laughs> in the new year. But I really, really, really want to do our 24-hour live stream with our podcast friends. It would be so fun. We should do it from – It really would be. A haunted location and like slumber party style. Like people can switch out and like take naps and then come join and we'll just do – We just have like a cluster of bean bags in the background and just people – Some people are past the hell out. (laughs) 
I can't, I couldn't sleep on film because my greatest fear is that I will fart in my sleep and everyone <laughs> will watch me do it. There will be a second room where people can sleep. I need to be in a padded soundproof room. You know how like people who have podcast studios, they have the foam all over. I need that, but for my I sleeping room so you don't hear me. Bit out my coffee. It's a Grin. fear. It's a big one. <laughs> We'll put and you in, unreal. like, if we do it at, like, the Charleston jail, we'll just give you your own little cell. It's like Corinne's farting Perfect. cell. <laughs> I wouldn't sleep a wink there. Let's be real. If anything was coming out of me, it'd be pee from being so scared, especially if you leave me alone in a room. I'm That's really, really fun when I'm delusional. So I I won't sleep the whole time. I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited right. about this prospect of a thing some- that doesn't exist yet. But I, it will. But it we've will. been talking about it for so long and we haven't forgotten about it. I think that's one of the differences. It's like the things that we always talk about doing, we actually behind the scenes will make plans to do. To and do. like we do put yeah. in effort. It's not it's not like the million business ideas where we say it once and then we never bring it up again. The few things that we bring up time and time again, like we, we do really want to do. Yeah, we do. We do. We, I mean, we want to do all of them. but We do. <laughs> And we want to tell ghost stories. Yes, we do. And I have a confession to make. What? I researched the wrong thing and discovered that say, this morning. Because I, I noticed last night in the Excel it said something completely different than what it said it this did. morning. It did. And here's my mistake. <laughs> I had put into our Excel sheet that I was going to look at the Robinson Woods and Hauntings. I will do that in the future. <laughs> but where I went, went wrong in my initial Google search was I typed in that, I think, and then something came up about Robinson family murder. And then I think I just clicked on it out of intrigue and forgot entirely that it wasn't <laughs> supposed to be the thing that I was working on. And so I just fully covered a murder case. Oh, okay. I did find other hauntings in the vicinity to talk okay. about at the end. But this morning you know, I was like, shit. The beauty of this redo it now. is we make our own rules and it's not a mistake, Corinne. It, you did it on purpose. Yeah. Or, if I hadn't told you, you wouldn't know. Or maybe the, the universe cosmically wanted you to tell this story instead of the one that you were going to do. So Ooh. I don't know. Well, Everything happens I for a I reason. I hope I do it justice. There's so much more to the story, but initially, like, I was leaving out some details because I was like, okay, well, like, you know, I got to leave room for all the hauntings, of right? Course. Right. Uh, yeah. And then those are pretty much not going to be here. But <laughs> I will still give you a few details of this case. So trigger okay. warning up top. This episode involves violent crime against a family, including young children. Oof. It's, yeah, it's sad. Very, very sad. So... In 1968, the Robinson family, they were brutally murdered. Now, over 50 years later, no one has been charged with the murder and the case remains open. In the sleepy town of Goodhart, Michigan, neighbors began to complain of a foul odor coming from the direction of the Robinson's cottage. The Robinson's cottage was a log and stone cottage placed on a quiet, winding road not far from the village and resorts. It sat just 100 feet away from Lake Michigan. So very quaint, very picturesque, you know, like a true summer retreat. Like I would love to, it sounds like all the places, Sabrina, you and I are like, let's go on a 
on a, a podcast retreat. retreat somewhere and like yeah yeah a writing retreat and and stay at this like beautiful scenic place and that was their home that was the house that this cottage they had purchased for their family to go vacation mm-hmm. but now there was this horrible horrible odor emanating from it the stench from the cabin permeated the woods and carried over the waters and people started to complain so neighbors who owned properties Jeez. started to complain and also i believe Ugh. people who were staying at the nearby resorts started to complain that there was a smell as well wow this story just right away starts off really really horrific it it's horrific all the way through unfortunately Yikes. it's okay. a really tough one all right. It's hard because it's like, yeah, we don't do – we don't dabble in true crime that much. And so when we do, I'm kind of like, oh, gosh, there's so sad. sad. Yeah. There's yeah. there's not much like redeemable moments in many of the cases. No. It's just horrifying thing after horrifying thing. So on July 22nd, the caretaker walked up to the Robinson's cottage and knocked. The caretaker was someone who would actually – he had built this cabin himself or this cottage mm. and built a lot of the other neighboring cottages and then worked as the caretaker caring for the land, especially because so many of these homes were seasonal. Right. So he goes up and he knocks on the Robinson's cottage and nobody answered. He tried the door. It was locked. And concerned for their well-being, he pried the molding away from the door to gain entry into the cottage. Jeez. Upon opening the door, he saw Shirley Robinson, the mother, and she was laying on her stomach and there was a plaid blanket draped over her body covering everything from the knees up. It was very clear to him that something horrible had happened and that Shirley was likely dead. So he backpedaled very quickly and he ran for a phone where he uh. called police. And it's interesting the fact that she was covered with a blanket to me indicates like someone I don't I don't know much about murder and forensic psychology but that, that to me based on what I've heard it sounds like that it's personal right like someone then yeah covering well, and, and caring for the body when someone does something like that to the body yes personal but then also it's a telltale sign of like a, a killer's remorse right yeah too where suddenly they're like oh no and then they try to do something caring and like maternal or paternal towards that person and so like covering them with a blanket could be considered as such but in this case they do believe that the reason she had been positioned in that way and covered with the blanket was to make it to mislead police and make it look like oh. a s- sexually driven crime Interesting. so okay when michigan state police arrived they found six people inside So first person was Shirley. She was 40 years old, and she was the only person visible from the front door. She was laying in the corner of the living room, having been shot one time in the head. She was Mm. posed in that way with her legs more open and covered with a blanket. I don't know what the killer's intent was, especially given that there were so many other bodies further on into the cabin, if it was a sexually driven crime. Obviously, the police are going to find the other bodies, so I'm not quite sure what happened. But she was only moved. I don't think she was attacked in any sexual manner other than being attacked by being shot in the head, in which she, I think, died immediately. Down the hall. This is, I mean, guys, I'm sorry. This is like, (laughs) this is heavy. This is a lot. Well, you gave a trigger warning. So, you know, people know what's going on. (sighs) Yes. Okay. So a hallway then led... so when you entered the cabin, basically the way that it was situated was there was a, the door that led into the living room. And then from the living room, there was a long hallway where there was a kitchen and three bedrooms. 
Okay. So the only way in and out was through that door. You could only see the living room from the front door. But then as you made your way back, you could see the kitchen and the three bedrooms. Okay. So in the hallway from the living room, Shirley's husband, Dick, who was 42 years old, he was lying on the floor. He had suffered blunt force trauma to his head, a gunshot wound in his chest, and another shot to his head from a different gun. So now we know there are two guns and an object used for blunt force trauma. So three weapons were used. Their kids, two of their kids, Randall, 12 years old, and Susan, 7 years old, were also in the hallway. Randall was laying on top of his father, and a rug was placed on top of him. Susan was lying on the floor next to her father. This is just so sad. It really is. It's really interesting, too. Like, I don't really know exactly what they thought of the rug being placed on top of Randall. But Susan, Susan being seven years old, she was the only daughter, and she was the youngest child. So, age seven. Jeez. And this is also hard to say. And so I'm I'm removing a lot of the details as to how these kids had passed. But there was evidence of gunshot wounds and blunt force trauma objects being used. The two children that were older, Richie, 19, and Gary, 16. So they have four kids in total, ranging from age 7 to 19. So the two oldest, Richie and Gary, were found in one of the three bedrooms in the back, having been shot multiple times in the head. Oh, the it's like execution scene, style. That's so it awful. Is. It just – I'm sure you'll get more into this and like how like the police, you know, tried to like determine the order of how it right. happened. But mm-hmm. like when you said that the dad had blunt force trauma to the head, to me that was like, oh, maybe he tried to confront whoever the attackers were. But then the two children having – been attacked with something other than being just, you know, killed and dying by the gunshot wounds is like, that's so violent and unnecessary I and know. overkill. And these are just innocent, tiny children who are defenseless. Right. Exactly. Too. And, and like for someone to have two guns, we know that they're, well, f- from the forensics and from the investigation, it was believed that there was one single killer. And yet we know that there were two guns that were brought to the scene. And then there was the object for blunt force trauma. And I I do believe that that object was recovered in the house. The guns were not. So from what it sounds like, and there's not a ton of, there's not a ton of details about what this object is. But to me, what I thought may have happened was that someone grabbed an object that was nearby within the cottage to try to defend themselves. And then when you have children that are very small and a woman and a man who's trying to also protect all of their children, how easy would it probably be for someone who has two weapons on them to take that object away and then in a rage use it on the people again? So I'm assuming that's the reason why that object was used because otherwise the killer didn't need it, right? He had two guns and these people were on a family vacation. They were not anticipating anything like this happening and they were not – they were trapped. They were cornered. So – I just want to say that Leia usually does not come like on her own free will to come sit on my lap, but she is so snuggled into my lap right now and jumped up here on her own. She's trying to give you comfort because this is a stressful story. Yeah. This is very stressful. Thank you for being so We'll go to the Robinson Woods. My little The Robinson Woods and haunting sometime. But That's nice. Okay. I apologize. So the evidence at the scene suggested that there was a single person who committed the, these atrocious acts. 
And the evidence showed or suggested that the first shot was shot from a rifle through the cottage window. So the killer was actually outside shooting inside, like sniper style. What the hell? And that first shot hit and killed Dick Robinson and one of the boys, teenage boys. So now two of the older, larger people in the house have been killed before the perpetrator even enters the cottage, which might make a little more sense as to why it was such a mad scramble. But then, okay, but then why did the dad have blunt force trauma to the head? It's like, that's even more overkill. If he's already... Well, if he's the target, right, and all the emotion is going out on him, perhaps that's... That's the reason. Okay. Okay. Because he was he was shot multiple times too, and had blunt force trauma. So it was it was overkill specifically with him. It's just so, so fascinating. Like I feel like when people are angry or ha- have like very high emotions, I, I'll speak for myself personally. Like my inclinations or ideations are more self related, and I've never ever ever had like homicidal ideations but the fact that that's a thing for people is so hard for me to understand right the people see red and they just go after and also like you're probably gonna get caught right yes like what are you really what's really gonna come of this because the benefit you're still going to be harmed whatever you thought this person could do to you or how they would affect you or whatever thrill you would get from doing this to someone else that's all going to be taken away from you because you're going to rot in jail. And in hell. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of like afterlife shit that you're going to go through. And Yeah. Well, I sure hope so. Yeah. God. God, I hate people. It's bad. Yeah. Okay. So basically the police realized that two people, the father and the, an older boy, had been killed before the murderer gained entry into the cottage and then the murderer chased down the three other children and their mother and murdered them. The killer then, after killing everybody, the entire Robinson family, the killer then closed the curtains, placed blankets and rugs on top of the youngest boy, Randall, and the mother, Shirley, turned up the heat in the cottage, placed bodies, specifically the, the dad's body, Dick, over the heating vent, which then sped up decomposition stuffed cardboard in the bullet holes in the window, which I don't know if that was to either make it less noticeable or keep all the air inside. I don't know. But then they locked the door and they left. And that was it. How'd they... Okay. So is it one of those doors that you can lock from the inside and close it in it? I think so. Yeah. Okay. It's a summer cottage, right? Like it's, it's not this like fortified home. I think it... I'm fairly certain it was like a seasonal cottage. Like you couldn't spend any time there. In the, maybe I'm right, wrong. Right, it's probably not winterized. But, well, there's a heater. But there is the heater. Yeah, I don't know. But it wasn't, I mean, and also it probably was one of the doors that you can lock from the inside. And then also if we think about it, like this was the 60s in this tiny little town that had yeah. basically a population of a couple hundred people. They were in a really quiet street. The chances of them having locked their doors at that time period That's and true. where they were, it probably was open. Well, okay. I'm just you know, trying to get inside the mind of a killer. Everything that is happening is confusing. And this is why I'm not a police detective because I would not be good at it. But like putting the body specifically on the heater, there's just so much time spent in the aftermath of it that is confusing. Like what is the point of all of that? But then also perhaps 
So the killings probably happened in a very short amount of time, right? Because two shots happened from outside of the cottage. And then the people that were left inside of the cottage were smaller. And the placement of their bodies, they were closer together. So they were Mm -hmm. probably in the process of running from him and were basically Mm -hmm. shot immediately. So I'm assuming that maybe the entire thing from the time that the the perpetrator sent off that first shot to them leaving maybe was 10 minutes max because Mm -hmm. the cottage is really small. It's not a very big place. It's kind of like a cabin. Like it's a very small home. And two, I also am assuming, and this is like just my opinion, obviously there's no evidence published that suggests that this is what happened. But I would assume that the person who did this, the person that they think did this, which I'll tell you about in a minute, Mm -hmm. probably was so flustered that the decisions that they were making, to your point, didn't make sense, right? That's true. They were just like- Just like- scrambling to get out of there acting on impulse was like oh i should do this and that and so it was like a mix match of weird things Hmm. so obviously this rattled everybody everyone was like who the hell could do such a terrible thing what type of person goes to a family's holiday cottage and mass murders all of them (sighs) one by one hunting them down it's just atrocious The Robinson family, they had spent most of their year in the Detroit area, which is where Dick, the father, worked in advertising and publishing. He had two different companies. Okay. And then the family owned this summer cottage, nicknamed Somerset, and had just arrived there in early June. They'd been murdered not long after arriving. And by the time the caretaker had discovered Shirley's body and alerted police, 27 days had passed since the family had been murdered. 27 days. Isn't that wild? Well, no wonder days. everyone was complaining about the smell. But then that's the smell. And also like, it gives you an idea of how how remote their cottage is too, yeah. right? Like there isn't people just walking by. It's like not a, there's not a footpath nearby. It really and, had to reek. And it and makes it so frustrating because 27 days, like whoever the killer is can be freaking across the, like the world at this point. Exactly. And you don't know who else may have walked around those grounds and and found yeah. different pieces of evidence maybe laying down and, and not realizing what it was and taking it with them. You know, there's a lot of people that go there for summer holidays right. that are now gone back home. Like you have no idea who was there at that time. And, and did it you just, say yeah, it's, it's a huge hindrance to the case. Like basically right on the lake? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, just about 100 feet up from Lake Michigan? So from the, the killer lake. could also have like disposed of things in the lake, and that's a yes. massive lake. Like that's not absolutely yeah, yeah. It's the tippy top of northern Michigan too. If anyone is wondering exactly where this is, okay. So obviously, because so much time passed, yes, there were all of these things where it's like the killer could have left by now. Evidence could have been tampered with. Now the bodies are in these advanced stages of decomposition, so there is a little bit yeah. less evidence likely on. On their bodies to to clue investigators into what possibly happened. Right. So the town, they're freaking out. It's a very quiet town. Like this town at the time had a gas station and a general store. It basically was considered almost a ghost town. Like it used to have a bumbling community with a bunch of different shops and and whatnot. And it also had a Native American population in the late 1800s. And then, you know, things happened. And then... And Terrible settlers. And now it's right. And now there's like 200 people living here and full time, I'm guessing probably less. Yeah. Definitely. Since so many of the people that own homes live somewhere else. Right. So everybody's freaking out because this is, again, it's like it's the classic 
true crime documentary where when everyone's like, it was a quiet, quaint town, like, and no one locked their doors. It wasn't supposed to happen right, it here. It was safe. No one. It's never supposed nothing to like happen. Nothing like this has ever anywhere. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, it shouldn't exactly happen anywhere in the world, to be honest. So yeah. Murder yes. should always be Shouldn't shocking. happen anywhere. Right. Exactly. So the police, there's not that many people to talk to. So they start talking to everybody. They yeah. talked to the neighbors. They talked to the locals. What had they seen? What had they heard? Was there anything suspicious that they'd noticed around the time of these killings? And were there any people that they knew of that maybe had a vendetta against this family? There was a man and a teenager who were local to the area. And when police had talked to them, they actually said that the Robinsons had hired them to do some tree trimming. And they reported hearing raised voices and rapid gunshots when they were doing tree trimming in that area on June 25th. So now we think that this is exactly when, this is the date of when this all happened. It must have been June 25th. If you hear raised voices and gunshots, why wouldn't you report it? So it's because they're so close. It's such a wooded area and they're also so close to the lake that these people, this man and this younger boy, it happened so quickly. So again, that's kind of why I think that the the crime happened so quickly because it was just like Mm. a few raised voices, a bunch of gunshots, and then it was nothing. And so they assumed that people were like duck hunting down by the beach or like shooting squirrels or like something like that. You know, the excitement, a bunch of shots, and then it's done. The Kitty Genovese Genovese story, like the like bystander effect where it just like yeah you think someone else is reporting it or you like you're like oh that's nothing it just makes me it doesn't hurt to report things yeah but i get it too because there's so many times especially in boston we're like i'll hear something i mean now we have like the citizen app right where people can see what's going on but but even back in vermont like there were totally times when i would hear something and i'd be like what was that was that a gunshot and then i'm like okay well it could be someone hunting or it could be someone lighting off fireworks. And if you don't hear anything after that, you're like, oh, it's fine. Like there's no blood curdling scream. Right. It must have right. just been something, you know, there's noises that happen like this all the time. That's true. And I'm 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 saying this knowing fully that I've also probably done things like that where I've heard mm-hmm. a scream or like something and I'm like, oh, that's probably nothing, you know? And if I don't hear it again, I'm just like, okay, move on with my life. Right. And too, it's hard because like even when people do report things, if you don't necessarily know exactly what you're reporting, a lot of times, depending on where you are, there aren't enough resources to just respond to right. an odd a sound. bang in the woods. Yeah. A sound. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think, it, yeah, it does discourage some people. And yes. of course, the bystander effect, right? Like it does, it does happen. It's hard to evaluate exactly what's going on. And so for these two people, they thought it was just, you know, the the quick succession of gunshots and, and yells. They thought it was probably just people hunting down by the water. Mm-hmm. They were far enough away where they couldn't see the cottage or any of that activity. But now we have a date, right? Based on the decomposition, okay. decomposition of the bodies uh, and based on what these two people heard when they were nearby the cottage, the date had to have been June 25th. Okay. But who wanted these people dead? So now we have a date. We know the murder weapons or or how these people died. But we don't know who yet. Mm -hmm. The entire investigation lasted 15 months. But by week two, the second week on the case, the police turned their eyes onto the family's close acquaintances, specifically one man. This man was Joseph Scalaro III, age 30, and he was Dick's business partner. And he became the prime suspect. 
All right. So the police are like, okay, Joe, what is your alibi? What were you doing on June 25th, 1968? What were you doing a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And Joe said that he had talked to Dick. And they had spoken on the phone, and Dick had asked him if the company checks had made it to the Southfield office. He wanted to make sure the checks got there. And Joe had been back with the two businesses and was basically, like, put in charge by Dick to make sure everybody gets paid, to make sure all of the invoices go through. He was handling the money, keeping the operation going, which there was some struggles with the business, too. But this guy was the point person to keep everything afloat while – Dick was at his summer vacation home with his family. Also, just to point this out, Joe, who is his business partner, if they're talking on the phone occasionally and, like, you know, working together while Dick's on vacation with his family, he would have reported, hey, I haven't heard from my business partner in a really long time. It sounds like something's up because it's almost a month that has gone by. That is a very, very good point, Sabrina. I didn't think about that. I mean, that should be, like, the biggest red flag ever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And he said absolutely nothing. But apparently his alibi for the last time that he spoke to – and also by the time I think cops had gotten to him and made him a suspect, it was probably now five weeks that had gone by or so since the family had been murdered. So Joe was like, oh, Dick was just asking if the checks got there okay. Okay. Well, if that was the last time he spoke to his boss, when was the last time he saw his boss? Mm -hmm. And also, was his alibi even really correct? So they look at Joe's statement and what he had said about that phone call that he had with Dick. He downplayed exactly what happened. Apparently, Dick's secretary had called Dick saying that there was some money missing from the account. And then Dick called Joe and asked where it was. And the conversation was not civil at all. It involved a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming. So now it's like, okay, Joe, we know you're lying. Mm Mm-hmm. So, right. They're like, okay, well, we know the last time you you spoke to him and we know that you lied about what that conversation was. So when was the last time you actually saw your boss? According to Joe, he was not at the cottage, but also he didn't have an alibi. In fact, he was missing for 12 hours. None of his friends, family, and acquaintances could account for his whereabouts for 12 hours on that day. Looking pretty guilty, Joe. Another red flag there. Another red flag. The murder weapons used at the Robinson family's cottage just so happened to also be the same model of guns owned by Joe Scalaro. Joe said, yes, he did purchase those types of guns. In fact, he purchased two pairs of each gun, giving one of the pistols to Dick, a gift, and then giving away the other rifles. But the guns used at the crime scene were definitely not his, he said. Those are not mine. Ah. But horrible chances for them to, yes. And so everybody's like, mm, okay. Red flag, red flag. Pop, 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 red pop, flag. red flag. A thousand red flags. Yeah. So Joe didn't really think this through, right? Like, he's just lying left and right to the police. Because the police, they're they're policing. Like, they're being good investigators they're policing. in this case. They're actually, they're, yeah, they're not, they're not fumbling the bag here. So they go to Joe's father-in-law's private shooting range after getting some tips that led them in that direction. And guess what they found? They found four shell casings that matched the exact shell casings from the crime scene. So now we know whoever was in that private shooting range that was Joe's father-in-law's had the same exact murder weapon that was used to murder the Robinson family. Okay. Mm. Ah. uh, 
How? <laughs> right? How and is an unsolved murder? How? I know you're going to get there, that's, but that's they how, just, ah, okay. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> to make it even more of a like, holy shit, this is the guy, the spent cartridges at the shooting range were a, and at the crime scene were a rare 1968 Finnish brand of bullets sold only for a limited time and only sold for a few weeks in Michigan prior to the Robinson's family murder. Out of all the people in the state of Michigan who purchased this ammunition in that short period of a few weeks, Joseph Scalaro was one of them. I can't. And just a few people had purchased them. So obviously we know Joe's a liar. He did, right? I just want to There's so many inconsistencies. Right. Like there's just so much freaking evidence and so many inconsistencies. Well, I can't even speak with his alibi and with his statement. There's, like, no words to say except for, like, ah, ee, ooh, because it's just, like, ah, frustrating. Yes. That there's no words right. that it can feels, come out to, uh, uh. Hello, like, he's <laughs> guilty, right? That's, I think, what we're yes. all thinking. But everybody's like, okay, well, why did Joe Scalaro want his boss dead? Because, you know, not everybody knows that maybe he was taking some money. Turns right. out Joe definitely took some money, and he had given himself a sizable raise and increased his expense account limit. And he also did this for other employees, too. Oh. And no, this was not at the permission of Dick. So he was giving out money mostly to himself, but also to some other people, which I don't know who those people were. Maybe he which was makes me wonder if they out. like knew we're- that Joe was taking money and were blackmailing him. Like, hey, we know what you're doing. Do it for us too. Oh, maybe. Oh, that's an interesting theory. Yeah, perhaps. Then the poor secretary, she's like probably not getting paid hardly <gasps> anything at all. And she's the one that uncovers this. But she caught it. Yeah. She caught it. She caught a good thing for her, but also horrible because then it, it led yeah. Joe into this rage and then and killed all this whole family. So well, let's just say anyway, Joe, it's all on Joe. F Joe. It's all on Joe. It's all on Joe. Absolutely. But I wish the secretary got paid more money. <laughs> I just know she didn't get paid enough for all of that and the trauma that came yeah. after the fact. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe had been getting away with this because he was taking Dick's pre-signed checks and increasing pay on these checks by putting in the number, a number different than what he normally did. So I guess it was like a normal practice. So there was nothing to like double check or like raise suspicion for him right. because he was doing it all correctly for a while. But then suddenly he started taking these checks and writing in increased amounts. A short enough time to not get caught until the secretary raised the flag. Yeah. Was murdering Dick always the plan? Or was Joe so red with rage that he then got into his car and drove straight to the cottage to kill Dick Robinson before Dick could tell other people what Joe had done? Surely he wouldn't kill an entire family over embezzling $60,000, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just so horrible. Yep. I did a inflation calculator to see what $60,000 in 1968 would be today. And it is just over $500,000. Half a million dollars. People kill for that money. I mean, people kill for less, you know? People but do. It's just <sighs> awful that it had to be... I just... And it's like, okay, how long is this drive from wherever Joe is to the, the lake house? Because... Okay, yes, this is an interesting theory. So some people are our team Joe didn't do it. Because they're like, there's no way he could have driven there in the amount of time to commit this crime and get back. Yeah, he could have. He was unaccounted for for 12 hours. 
in rush hour, I did the the path in rush hour. It takes between four and like maybe five hours and 20 minutes to get there. Okay. So if he hit all the traffic and let's say it took him five and a half hours, he would still have an hour, probably more to commit this crime. And if we take into the account what the two people who were doing some tree trimmings had heard, they said it was a burst of shots and yelling in a short succession. So it wasn't a long period of time. It was quick, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, (sighs) and he's back uh, on the road. He's heading home. But for four and a half hours, he is driving to this cottage. And uh, what's he thinking? Like, just to, for me, he it, to imagine someone so caught in rage that they want to kill their friend, their business partner, that they get into their car with their weapons and drive four and a half hours and do not calm down and do not change their mind or reconsider or anything. Like, right. To be that blind with right. rage for that long. And it's not like a bad conversation got worse, right? It's not like right. he was going just to to yell at Dick and try to like cover his tracks. He started killing them before they saw him. Yeah. From outside of the cottage. He went, he grabbed his weapons. He packed his two guns. He had Which, intent. So it's it's thought out. Yeah. It it is, yeah. He knew what he was doing. I don't doing. know how he ever thought rage. he would get away with it. Or what? Or but maybe apparently he, didn't care he did. If he got away with it. Apparently he did. Ah. Eee. Okay, I'll keep Apparent- listening. Apparently. Okay. All right. So clearly, there's a lot of evidence against Joe Joseph Scalaro. It looks obvious to many people, to us, to yeah. police, that he committed these murders. He killed four children, an entire family, at their summer cottage because he mm. was upset that he had been caught embezzling money. We assume that Joe goes to jail now, right? You assume? No, mm. he doesn't. And I'm no law expert. I'll I'll say that now. So <laughs> I don't quite know how the hell this possibly happened. But basically, the county that it happened in, Emmett County, didn't want to prosecute because they didn't want to pay for a six-count murder trial. They thought it was far too expensive. So from what I was reading, it kind of sounds like this was just floating about for someone to eventually take on that that cost and like bring oh. him to, to trial, which I didn't know that you could I just say no thank you to putting a murderer some, a murderer to a trial. What? That's, huh. Yeah. But appa- okay. like, all of the sources were basically saying Emmett County was like, me, and they didn't, they didn't want to do it. And also they were, it was partially because it was so expensive. And then also because they felt like because the two missing murder weapons had not been recovered and because they didn't have Joseph Scalar's fingerprints at the scene, it wasn't like a a locked in, like this is for sure going to be a case that wins. And so the amount of money that they would have to spend with the lack of certain what they deemed as critical evidence led them to basically say, no, they didn't want to pay for disinterment either or the autopsies. So like literally nothing. They were being this so feels cheap. So how? I mean, it I feels know this fake, is right? This, the, like someone who's in the legal or law enforcement world can you please let us know if this is still something that could happen today? Because right. because how do you just how do you have in your small small population of your county of like thirty thousand some people? 
How do you have a whole family of six slaughtered at their family vacation home in an area where you rely on tourism and you rely on people coming in for the summer to bring their families and eat at your restaurants and shop on your shops and purchase your property and spend time at your inns and hotels? How do you say no big deal? No thanks. But uh, even beyond that, like any if in any place in the world when there is a murder to to morally decide, you know what, uh, we're not going to do an autopsy. We're not going to try to solve this. Really, we're you know we don't have the money. Sorry, because it's one thing. And it's business. one thing. Neither way. Yes. does it make sense? It's Neither one lens. thing for it to be like an actual cold case where there's no no evidence. There's no suspects. It just leaves people confounded, which is awful. Don't get me wrong. Like that's horrible mm-hmm. and awful and like the you know makes me mad but to have the amount of evidence that seems to be to me apparent and yeah a suspect and just decide nah right because it's like okay yeah you don't have the murder weapons but you also have evidence that the sh- that the exact bullets used match like uh, ugh. It's just like how many other people – you know that there are so few people in Michigan who have those bullets and have those guns. In fact, he might be the only person that has the pairing of the two. And out of all those people, let's say say seven other people have that exact rifle and all those bullets. How many of them also went to Joe's father-in-law's shooting range and shot that gun and And bullets? how many of those people have a direct connection to Dick and – had a fight with him. And a 12-hour period of missing time. Oh, Joe, you're See, this guilty, is why man. I couldn't be in law enforcement. It would be so infuriating. Right? It's like, okay, you have a better chance of probably winning the Powerball four times over than chances of, of this all being horrible series of events and Joe's actually innocent. Right? Right. Right. <sighs> okay. So years pass by. Joe's not tried. He's not arrested. It's now 1972, four years later, and this mass murder has gone without an arrest for the entire four years. Emmett County is still covering their ears going, no, 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 no. We don't want to hear what's going on. We don't care. We don't want to spend our money. And the state police are still looking to get the bad guy. So they're kind of butting heads, obviously. Right. And the guy, they have all the evidence points to. So they're increasingly frustrated. Finally, though, Oakland County agrees to take on the case. It Mm. is where Dick's businesses were and where Joe had embezzled the money. So it made sense there was still crime happening there. Prosecutors were seeking to try Joseph Scalaro on six charges of first-degree murder. Now, nobody in the police station or the prosecutor's office wants to believe that their people could have leaked that this is what they were working on. But it's assumed that perhaps someone did catch wind of what was going on and alerted Joe that he was going to be arrested soon because Joseph Scolaro died very soon after by suicide, leaving behind a note which stated many of the different crimes that he had committed in terms of embezzling money and swindling companies. But the very last line said, P.S., I had nothing to do with the Robinsons. I'm a cheat, but I'm not a murderer. So some people did think that he was innocent all along. But some of those theories doesn't really make sense because people are like, oh, he didn't have enough time. 
Yeah, he did. He did. And huh. others have also questioned how he was able to kill all six people without anyone escaping. People are like, oh, there must have been multiple murders. Or how did how did everyone die? It was a tiny cabin. Two people, the largest two people were already killed before being able to even defend themselves right. or anyone else. And then there's only one way in and one way out. And, and he it's had just chaos. Like, a seven-year-old, yeah. a mom, and two, like, preteens. Yeah. And he had two guns. Yeah. What do you mean, how did he kill everyone? They had nothing. They had nothing to defend themselves. And yeah. And one thing that they likely did pull up and, and grab was taken from them, and that was the blunt force object. So horrible. Horrible, horrible. Yeah. And there's just no closure. I mean, it's... It, right. Also, also some people, just an FYI, if people are hearing noise in my background, it's because my downstairs neighbor has a TV on very, very loud. Just wanted wow, to. Wow, I do hear it. Do you? It's super loud. It's like vibrating through the whole house. Jeez, oh, dang. Should do like the, the friends <laughs> when they like them. stomp. Yeah. yeah, bang on it. Okay. Um, there's another theory. Some people wonder if maybe it hadn't been Joe Scalaro, that maybe it was John Normal Collins who was a convicted Mm. killer who went to prison for the murder of a female college student and is suspected in the killing of other college students. The reason people think perhaps he did it was because Collins was attending the same college as the oldest son, Richie, and rumor has it that they were assigned roommates to be roommates during orientation week. So perhaps John was aware of who Richie was. But Mm. to go from college campuses to then driving many hours to kill a family with the same two guns that the dad's business owner has because you know the kid from a couple days of college orientation. Yeah. That just – it just doesn't – how? How could that have happened? That doesn't make any sense, right? Too many stacked coincidences. Right. So basically, some people are still like, all right, like, I don't know why everybody wants Joe Scalaro to be innocent. And maybe it's smart to try to, like, play the devil's advocate card and and find where there are holes in the case. Look at all options. Exactly. All the skeptical people who are poking holes in this case and bringing up different theories and bringing up questions. It just, to me, they don't seem substantial enough and they don't, they actually, like, leave, they leave very few questions unanswered where it's like, oh, he... Like the classic, like he didn't have time. Yes, he did. Right. Like the the guns, like every, it's just the chances of their theory being correct seem so incredibly more outlandish and and more improbable statistically than it being Joe Scalaro. And which, of course, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't. We don't know. Maybe it wasn't. It is hard to know. You know, there's no, no way to get confirmation from Joe anymore. But, Mm I don't know. In my very minimal knowledge of psychology, there are, to me, it makes sense if someone commits such a heinous crime. I mean, think about trauma in general. Like people, people's brains do wild things to disassociate from the memory, to completely like forget that it happened, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be. Like there is a very real possibility that Joe was acting in such rage and anger that the processing afterwards was so unbelievable to him that he his brain made it seem like or just like wiped the memory to be like i didn't do this yeah because that was the only way for hey him to i mean that's on. like almost every season of the sinner right right like that show <laughs> yeah totally it absolutely can happen and so it's hard to piece together certain things when either per- someone is is not cooperating with police or just doesn't have memory of what's going on yeah. and has an entirely different 
perspective of of what happened and their involvement in it. But despite what happened, the Michigan State Police and the crime lab got a lot of praise for how they handled the case because they were meticulously piecing together evidence and working diligently to cover all angles, leaving no leads ignored, which I was happy to hear because I feel like so many times when we hear of unsolved cases or just cases where people were like wrongfully convicted, right. it's always like there are a everyone's lot of loose ends There's in the investigation. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was happy to hear that like despite Emmett County not being super supportive over 50 years ago of prosecuting the case, that the police, the Michigan State Police, were still putting in every single bit of effort and manpower that they could yeah. into this case. Yeah. So although we think we know who it is, there's always a possibility that it was someone else or that someone else out there has more information that can help police lock in exactly what happened that night. So if you have any information on the case, you are still encouraged to call the Emmett County Sheriff's Office as this case is technically unsolved and right now inactive. And we'll put the number in the show notes. Luckily, there is nothing online that I could find that indicates that this cottage is haunted, which makes me happy. Yes. That means that the Robinson family, I hope, got to move on right? That their spirits aren't still there and that there's no horrible residual stain of them being killed in this cottage. Yeah. But then again, I do wonder, you know, like obviously when something horrible happens, it oftentimes attracts in something evil. And so I do wonder if whoever has this cottage now, if it still stands or whoever lives in the area, if there's some sort of like evil that lurks in the woods or in this place. I don't know. I don't know. And I hope not. I hope... I hope that this family just were together in the afterlife and we're all mm-hmm. able to move on together and that there's yeah. just peace. I hope so too. So Emmett County, they do have a lot of haunted spots. Oh. This place isn't super huge, right? Like the the population isn't isn't ginormous. There's thirty thousand some people. Many of the little towns have just clusterings of of homes near the lake and in the woods and whatnot. So For the low population, there's an awful lot of ghosts. (laughs) And it's also a destination, right? So, like, if you want to have sort of like a mountainy winter or a summer escape, you might find yourself going to northern Michigan and into this county and into this area. And if you do so, if you make your way up north, you will likely find yourself driving on Route 31. On this road... You're not in any danger. Don't worry. There's no headlights chasing you and trying to get you off the road. No hitchhiking ghosts that I read of. But there is a motorist. So if you pay attention to who's around you, you just might spot a ghost biker. This man is riding a three-wheeled motorcycle. The bike appears to be moving in slow motion, and his body, the rider, is transparent. And once you spot him, you better not blink because he doesn't stay visible for very long before disappearing. It's like the modern day headless horseman, I feel like, is riding a a motorcycle. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder what he looks like. No one described what his face looks like, but I I picture Mm. like the salt and pepper, like big handlebar mustache, (laughs) you know, all leather, just tattoos on his knuckles, just like a Harley Davidson Santa Claus. Yeah. Yep. Also, if you're heading to this area, into this county, you're likely going to be staying at Harbor Springs or Petoskey, those two cities, or at least in the very least, you might be dining there, shopping there, because these Mm -hmm. are the two, they're small, but they're the two cities in the area. So if you're going out to eat, 
if you want to go get groceries or something, you're probably going to head over to this area. Okay. They have a lot to offer, ghosts included. <laughs> the Perry Hotel is the go-to luxury resort for those who can spend over $500 on one night. Oh, somewhere. I'm going to look at this up. Perry Hotel? Oh, yeah. The Perry Hotel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's actually called – I should have written down the whole name, but I think it's called like Stanley Perry Hotel or something like that. Stafford's. But it goes – Stafford's – there we go. Oh, it's Stafford's so Perry Hotel. Very pretty. Website, I think, is just the Perry Hotel. So a luxury stay, very expensive stay, but just because you're spending money doesn't guarantee you are having a ghost-free stay. <laughs> there is a spirit of an elderly woman in a white nightgown. So we have a lady in white who's often seen wandering the gardens and exploring the hotel library. Oh, so oh. it kind of sounds like you, Sabrina. I feel like this yeah, is who you're going to be I when, definitely. when you're old and, and past. And then you're like, <laughs> I'll just wander around in my white nightgown and read books in the library. Yes. Nobody knows exactly who this woman is, but they nicknamed her Doris and thought perhaps maybe she was either working in the hotel or was a hotel guest back when it opened. Oh. I think it opened in like 1899 or something like that. But like, okay, you know. Early 1900s, she must have been there. But she sounds lovely, doesn't she? She does. She's, She's not the only spirit there, though. Okay. It's funny that you brought up a headless horseman, Sabrina, <gasps> oh. because other guests and paranormal investigators on the property have captured images of mists and orbs. One picture even showed a full-bodied apparition, most of its body. A headless man dressed in 1800s stagecoach attire was photographed. He stood about eight feet tall. What? His coat was black with five buttons and he wore white gloves. A headless horseman without his horse. But eight feet tall? Eight feet tall. Does that Without mean, his head. So probably nine feet tall wait, with his head. Does that mean, okay, well now, because you said headless horseman without his horse, does it seem like he's almost on a horse? But the horse you can't see. Oh, interesting. Maybe. Or or like on a carriage or something because because eight feet tall. He was in stagecoach attire. Yeah. So perhaps he was, you know, like would sit just slightly above in the carriage with the horses in front. I don't know. I don't know but that's either. a good point, Sabrina. Look at you. You're filling in all the gaps today. <laughs> <laughs> they call me gap filler Sabrina. <laughs> gap filler Sabrina. She's on the case. You're not gonna gonna whoa 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 I just whoa stuttered so hard. You know <laughs> what? On. It's gap filler, Sabrina. And then growing up, they used to call me gap tooth, Sabrina, because I had a massive gap in between my teeth. And Did you? Oh, massive! It was. Did so you have cute, to get a phrenectomy? Were they snip no. that little piece of you? Oh no no no! I it just braces, but because of it, my canine teeth, my adult ones were growing in on the roof of my mouth up in towards each other whoa you so were like a reverse vampire you you had no points they were all just in there so they had totally like pull impacted my baby teeth and then one of them came in on its own but the other one they had to go in surgically put a chain on it and connect it to my <gasps> braces and slowly pull it out oh god ouch Oh, yep. man. Yep. But yeah, now, look back in the day, I thought I was going to be an orthodontist, but then I uh, started fainting in all the medical classes I was taking. So, <laughs> you know, now, I'm a, now, now we talk about ghosts on a podcast. <laughs> uh, who's winning now? I think current. current we yeah. are. <laughs> okay. So, that in the Perry Hotel, or I guess it's not an inn, the Perry Hotel, a lot going on. 
The Terrace Inn also has a white lady. Mm. We have some competition. <laughs> Believed to be Elizabeth Sweet, who tragically passed after falling down a flight of stairs. Oh. She passed away in room 211. So if you end up staying there, perhaps you could check into that room. Okay. And her spirit is spotted by guests staying at this inn, wandering the building, and keeping a watchful eye on people. She's very helpful. One time, a former owner had forgotten to turn off an oven and was wandering around the inn doing other things. And this oven is old, so the the risk of it being on and, and igniting something is high. And this lady in white, our ghost Elizabeth, she alerted the owner to the oven being on by basically like clanging pots and pans in that area to draw her back to notice that the oven was still on. So she's a good ghost. Oh, okay. That's there's amazing. A small boy. Love her. Super amazing. Oh, there's some good ghosts in here. I chose some good stories to end on, guys, because it, was, was it was heavy, 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 <laughs> heavy. None of these ghosts seem scary. They all seem quite delightful. They're not. They're all going to be delightful. Oh, good. Except okay. for maybe the Headless Horseman guy, because he could be a little bit scary to, to witness. To see, but doesn't seem to like see. he's doing anything no, malicious. No, no, no. He's just yeah. hanging out. Just hanging. There's also a small boy who is in the Terrace Inn, and he is usually seen by employees because he favors hanging out in the inn's basement. So he's a little basement boy. Basement and there are boy. two male spirits also here haunting the inn, believed to be the spirits of two workers who unfortunately were crushed to death in a construction oh. accident on the site many years prior. Yeah. So they're just all hanging out there. People see them, and that's who they think that these people are. Okay. But when these spirits aren't seen, they are very busy shuffling up and down the halls, playing the piano, and even throwing phantom parties. So people hear parties going on. Isn't that cool? Corinne, when we're ghosts, we should have like spooky galas, and we'll invite all of our oh, ghosty yes. pals. Oh my gosh. <gasps> what? We say, see you on the other side. We are going to have, once we're all dead, everyone, you know, all the podcast phantoms. In a hundred years when we're all dead. We are going to have the best freaking party in the afterlife. Ragers. And it's called See You on the Other Side. It's the annual, it's like, you know how, who was it? Did like the annual white party where everyone would wear white and it was yeah. like the big thing. That's going to be us. We're going to be, yeah, we're going to throw costumes required. Required. Haunting. Absolutely. Mandatory. Mandatory. It could be like the Monsters, Inc. situation where like (laughs) that's the party trick. Everybody, it's one of the activities. You can go haunt someone. You can haunt whoever you want. You just got to cross through the door and come back. We'll pick like really fun haunt, like we'll pick like places that aren't haunted but beautiful, like a hotel Mm -hmm. with a big ballroom. And then it will become haunted because of us. And then we'll be attached to the rainbow bridge that brings all of the animals over (gasps) to us. And it's basically like a cat and dog cafe. Oh, my gosh. Guinea pigs, horses, whoever you're missing, whoever you want to see. Llamas, we got them. No allergies. No allergies in the afterlife. I'm free! (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm on board. The world is always trying to kill me with food and pets. Okay, so... Despite not getting invited to the party, I do think that people who have an interest in going to this inn should still go. And if you do go, you must promise me and Sabrina that you will read the journal at the front desk, which is kept there, to chronicle for for guests to write down all of the paranormal experiences that they've ever experienced. I love it. And then you must tell us what it says. If I ever own an Airbnb, I'm going to create a book like that. But not promote my haunted, not promote the Airbnb is haunted. And it probably won't be haunted. 
but I'm going to make it seem like it's haunted by at the entry next to the like, here's the information and like, here's the Wi-Fi and please lock up and here's what you need to do for check-in and check-out. There'll be another book right next to it and I will create five different handwritings and I will write (laughs) personal encounters with the ghosts so that people who check in are like, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) It just says like suspicious activity. Yeah. That's the name of the book. I would actually panic. I'd be like, oh my God, I can't stay here. I'm not safe. What if someone's outside creeping in? So scary. They always are. They always are. Bigfoot. Hello. Where are you? (laughs) A few more experiences for us to end on paranormal wise. Shop owners. They say this place is haunted. This whole county. There's always something going on. One of the shop owners, Arlington Jewelers, the shop owner was panicked one day because a $10,000 necklace went missing and he was looking everywhere. That's a That's huge a loss. Very, yeah, expensive. Yes. At the end of the day, the necklace is suddenly right back where it was supposed to be. Just by passing it, looking at it, everyone going, oh my God, it's missing. It just suddenly popped back up. A ghost a borrowed ghost it. took it. A ghost borrowed it. And apparently this is not this is a this is a theme, you know, in a lot of those shops. There's things that go missing. Wow. And then they reappear, things that get moved around. Haunted locations include, but are not limited to, that place, the Arlington Jewelers, the circus shop, the clothes post, and so so many more. There's wow. also areas of these towns that are ghost towns, so like actual sections of that that are completely deserted, leaving behind mm-hmm. these dilapidated buildings and old abandoned graveyards. So very ripe for hauntings, if you ask me. If you ask me. And to <laughs> I didn't even notice that I did that. <laughs> like I loved it. We should do a whole episode where we talk like once there was a mm. ghost. <laughs> once when I was a ghost. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. It'll be a special episode. On a lighter note, if you buy or rent a cottage or a home here, there's a chance that you may encounter a very friendly ghost. Oh. A family in Harbor Springs did just that, and they lovingly nicknamed this spirit Axel the Friendly Ghost. So hopefully you get Axel the Friendly Ghost, too, if you go here. A woman said that her grandmother was painting one day and spoke out loud saying that she wanted a proper easel to paint on. So it was just kind of like a toss-away comment to no one, you know, just kind of talking to herself, passing comment. And the next day, a delivery from Sears was dropped off at the house. The man came up and delivered a very nice easel. None of the family members said that they ordered this for her. So the grandma, being very confused, calls this company and says, who ordered this? And Sears had no record of the purchase They had no record of any deliveries in that area for the past 24 hours. So that wasn't their man. That wasn't their truck. There wasn't, that wasn't their package. And they also had no record of an easel even being a product that they offered in their store. So Axel clearly can pull his weight in the afterlife. What a powerful Mm -hmm. freaking ghost. I know. So generous and kind. And so generous. It's like faster than Amazon two day delivery. Oh my gosh. I know. It makes me wonder, too, is there, like, was there someone in grandma's life who had already passed on, a loved one, who maybe in the afterlife you get one one big thing that you can help someone with. You have, like, one one big giant burst mm. of energy where you can do whatever you want. And they were like, this is it. She wants an easel. What? That's what, what I'm going to use do? my power on. I don't what know. What would you do? 
I'd ha- I have no idea what I would do. I think I'd have to mm. wait. I have to see what people need most. What would you do? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it depends on who I'm giving to. If it's like my child or something, I guess it depends. Like, what is it like? You can save someone's life, or you can give them an easel, like, or give them a gift. I'd rather save someone's life, you know? Right. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's why the gift of the easel came so much later because it was like Grandma was older and she felt fulfilled with yeah. her life and. There was no saving needed. Yeah. She never needed it. So it was time to just give her that easel. I have started painting lately. Now I really want an easel. Ghosts. Please. Ghosts. Hello. Hello. Are you here? I feel like we're tempting them. Hello. Okay. Great seeing you. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, Mm. that was supposed to be the Robinson forest <laughs> but instead we got the robinson family murders in michigan and and some interesting hauntings around that area yeah quite devastating murder case horrible i can't believe i hadn't heard of that before yeah i, I hadn't either i mean that's the tragic thing is there are so many murders that are like yeah. mainstream and i hate even saying that but it's true and then there's so many that just, you know, go under the radar and you don't hear about and I don't know. get attention in the same way. I know. And two, I think this did take up a lot of airtime and lived in people for so long in that area too, right? But yeah. because they people think they know who did it, I think it, it uh, though unsolved, it doesn't feel as cold case as so right. many others. Right. Well, I have a listener story that is about an unsolved murder. Okay. This is from our listener, Megan, and it's called Unsolved Murders Haunt My Town's Cemetery. Hi, spooky pals. The story I'm about to share is not one that has happened to me, but has happened to many people in my small hometown. This story comes from my brother, Kyle, with my cousin, Bradley, and my cousin's fiance, Kaylin. What they experienced is what everyone has experienced when visiting this cemetery. Okay, so for some background, we live in a super small town in Michigan called D-E-C-A-T-U-R. Decatur? Decatur. I'm probably saying that wrong. I've seen it written so many times. I know. I have no idea how to say it. And I feel like we've done this before. Like, I feel like this is, I feel like either I'm having deja vu or I've been in this exact moment and I have not learned. Third time's a charm. This is number two. You can go on. It's actually called a village and only has one stoplight. The majority of the town is farmland with a tiny town square. All of our schools were combined into one building, and I graduated with a class of only 49 students. Things in this town travel fast because of the size, and everyone knows everyone, and everyone knows of the Morris murders. The Morris murders happened on September 28th, 1879, Charles Henry Morris and his wife, Esther Jones Morris, were mysteriously shot to death in their home. No possessions had been taken except for a horse probably used so that the murderer could escape. The local police and a detective agency could not solve the case. They even took a suspect and tortured him to confess, but he stood his ground and stated that he didn't do anything and knew nothing. To this day, this case remains unsolved. Anyway, on to the spooky stuff. The cemetery that the Morris's graves reside is a very old, unkept cemetery. It's in an odd location and is fenced off. But there's one opening in the fence 
that allows people to gain access. Of course, most people who go to this cemetery are people trying to prove a point that it's not haunted or to prove that it is. Hmm. I've personally only seen the cemetery in the daytime, but the vibes of the cemetery completely change at night, according to my brother. So like many people, my brother and the others I mentioned decided to go to the cemetery at night. They parked their car off to the side of the dirt road and snuck their way in. My brother told me that the air just felt heavy. It felt hard to breathe, like constant pressure on their chests. They had to be careful and look where they were walking in this cemetery because of how unkept it was. There were tripping hazards everywhere. Gravestones, roots, branches. It's definitely not a place you can run in. Plus, that's disrespectful to the cemetery anyway. But when my brother and Kaylin looked up, they saw a woman running in this cemetery. She was wearing a long white dress that looked very old. My brother described her running as if she was floating. Her body looked as if it was running, but she floated above the gravestones, which no regular person would have been able to run easily or at all through this graveyard. That was enough proof for them. And... They demanded that my cousin and all of them leave. He agreed, and they got back in their car. My cousin grabbed the keys, put them in, turned them, and nothing. The car wouldn't start. No. Bradley tried multiple times to get the car to start, and it should have started because it was a brand new car. And it wasn't until another car drove by them on the dirt road that their car could start. Once it did, they booked it out of there. Oh my god. Every gosh. person that I have met who has been to the Morris Graves has all had this exact same experience. Seeing <gasps> the woman running, the car not starting, the heavy air. It's all consistent. I personally I would go. love to go there myself, <laughs> but none of my friends are willing to tag along. I just want to see if the same thing happens to me. Knowing exactly what happens and like having that blueprint, it does make me want to go. Because I'm like, okay, if I if I know, know exactly what's going to happen. happen. Yeah. Right. It's like when you're scared to go on a ride in an amusement park and they're like, okay, the, there's a 30-foot drop here and then it goes around and then you – something pops out like you feel more prepared yeah. right and then you're right. more willing to go right and it doesn't i mean the car not starting is very scary but it doesn't seem malicious per se mm. okay megan says i have many other paranormal stories like me getting haunted by my great grandma my grandma predicting people's deaths my mother seeing the same woman in white at a different cemetery and my brother living in a haunted house where he saw an apparition climbing up the basement stairs Let me know if you'd like to hear them. Yes, Megan, please. As always, see you on the other side, Megan. Oh, my God. Especially crawling up the stairs. That's my worst nightmare. Crawling Ah. in general. Just no thank you. Crawling. No no, thank you. It's a hard, hard no. Man, it's going to be tough when we have babies and then just crawl all the time. (laughs) We're not crawling. We're going straight to walking. (laughs) I will say, though, sometimes I'm just so tired and, like, depressed that crawling is all I can manage. Do you ever crawl up the stairs? I guess I don't really have any stairs. I don't really have stairs anymore. But you know when you're yeah. little, when you're just like running up the stairs and you do all fours? Just all fours. <laughs> yeah. Man, oh my gosh, okay. wait. I want to go there's to this a, place. There's a movie. I think it might even be called Megan. Have you seen this trailer? No. It's, okay. It's a movie. Basically, I, it's with the girl from from Girls and from uh, Us. No, not Us. Get Out. The Dark Haired oh. Girl. Mm. she, I guess, like, basically takes in her niece when 
her niece is like, or her sibling passes away and her niece is like really depressed. She's young. And so she decides to introduce her to like the project she's been working on, which is this AI child. Yes. Yes. I did see it. I did yes. see it. It looks like Elizabeth Olsen to me. The, the doll? AI child looks like Elizabeth okay, Olsen. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. But it is terrifying. I couldn't get over it. There's one it shot is. in the trailer where she's like standing and then all of a sudden she chases someone in the woods, but like gets on all fours and chases. Yes. Oh my God. I, yes, yes, yes. I want to see it. It honestly, I do too. that movie feels like, like that, that scene in the woods is totally my nightmare that I used to have about my American girl doll coming to life and trying <laughs> to kill me in the woods. Yeah. Terrifying. Or the, my, the knife. my size Barbie, life size Barbie, my whatever. Size Barbie. Yeah. Those things are terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty intense. But man, yeah. I, I don't know what to think of the woman in white too, because part of me is like, oh my gosh, that's so scary. I wonder if she's chasing them. I wonder like what she's what she's doing. But then I have to flip it and it's like, okay, well, something horrible had happened to the people that are buried here. Yeah. Is she's just unfortunately like replaying her running for her life or or doing what she wished she had done and been or could have been able to do. Or is she the protector of the cemetery and she's like, hey, silly little teenagers get out of here this is not for yeah, you to like trapeze around amusement. for your fun yeah true and well, the car I'm not like, starting could also just be a, like you know it, energy interference interference right mm-hmm. yeah that's true man it's hard because it's like i kind of want to go now but then <laughs> also if she doesn't want us to go then i don't want to disrespect her but then i'm like does she actually not want us to go or am i assuming things it's it's the lose lose it is. It is. It's it's hard. See, this is why we need to tap into our abilities, Crin. We need clear need communication become, lines. Yeah. And then we can ask the yes. spirit. What you can be you the want? actual projector and I will be the medium. <sighs> what if I like can be what is it? Where like I channel spirits? A medium? Like, I temporarily leave my body so that a spirit can come in. Possession? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <'cause> I'd be, <laughs> no. But there's called something. Maybe it's a medium, but like it's I'm like just I'm, you're channeling as I think it is sort of medium. Is it just channeling? Are you thinking about like I think it's just channeling, right? Okay, take me over, take me over, man, 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 a oh man, man, oh man. Well, ghost, oh ghost, ghosts will ghost, and we will continue to podcast week after week. Now I have another topic that I have back on my list that I yeah there I was you go. Today. But a nice teaser for so, yeah, the future. You're promised at least one more episode because I didn't do that. <laughs> but we appreciate all of you. Thank you yes. for coming here. If you have ghost stories, please email them to us at twogirlsonegoespodcast at gmail.com. And there are so many ways to follow along and support us. There's Patreon. We have live streams every single month for if you're in the Only Phantoms and above. We You get stickers. You get bonus episodes um all there's so many fun things holiday cards so many fun when things. the holidays come around um, yeah and yeah. eventually when we go on tour again you'll have first access to the ticket <gasps> um we also have uh, social support media. us by following us on yeah yeah you go, go you take it take it away okay 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 i'll give you the space you need though sabrina i can be i can be over here i can no, listen no, to you no. I took I up a lot of space talk today. all day long. <laughs> I, What do you mean? I talked for the past 90 minutes straight. 
That's true. Um, but I, social media. I contributed. <laughs> yes, you did. Gap, yes, gap you basically tooth. solved the case. Gap solving. <laughs> gap tooth Sabrina. <laughs> I feel like you're just like a Wild West cartoon from the future. It's like you time traveled, but you just don't know how to get back. So now you're like gap. You're like 12-year-old gap tooth Sabrina, like the lead detective in an old Western film. That TM. <laughs> I'm about to write that. Gotta go. Gotta go. So sorry. Wild ideas. <laughs> Follow us on social media, YouTube, yeah. Instagram, TikTok. We have Facebook group. We have Discord channel. All of those things. If you don't know how to find them, visit our website, twogirlsoneghost.com. You can find all of those details basically just by Googling us. Yes. Uh, and thank you to our editors, Aiden Manning and the whole team at Upfire Digital. Thank you. Thank you. Excited for another year with you. And we will. We love you. And we will. See you on the other side. I really embrace Gap Tooth Sprina. I'm like, wild, wild west. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Very sweet.